Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of Smart, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to season two of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Joe Santarpia here with my longtime big dog homies, Ryan John, Brennan Draper. How y'all doing? Good, good. All right. All right. We're coming back from a short break. No, this isn't a 90s sitcom, but this is season two here. And what we're doing this season is we're gonna we're gonna dig we're gonna like put individual elements under the magnifying glass a little more. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper and literally take you through channels one by one and then some more uh, output related stuff later on. Um, <laughs> did that was that a good channels one by one and then I have no idea. And then after that, uh, yeah, we ran out of good ideas. Good save. Guys. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we're just so, going to do what we usually do when we're working, so it just makes it easier for us to think about it. Exactly. This is yeah. this this season is the line check of Live Sound Bootcamp podcast. That's a really good way to put it. You like that? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I felt the stroke of genius. So yeah, th- that that was pre pro. Season <laughs> one was pre pro. Right. Season two is line check. Is line season check. three, maybe that'll be the show. Yeah, we're gonna do, we're gonna do the show. Season four will be the party afterwards. We're gonna forget to save the show file at the end of season two, and we're gonna have to start all over for season three. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right. All right. So um, yeah, we're we're gonna jump right in. Our our first our first topic is our first channel on the input list. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, we're gonna talk to you all day today about kick drum are you ready for that are you guys ready for that yeah all yeah right. i think i can handle it you know okay the the loudest thing in the mix yep <laughs> right. hands down right right the depending on who you are feet down oh. yeah that might be a rookie mistake but we'll get into that yeah. um yeah we're gonna talk about it all mics uh you know just like mixing just mixing Ever, yeah. everything so yeah. so so why don't why don't we dive right in all right so you know when it comes to when it comes to you know getting your sound together and, and going through all that, you know the first thing is to figure out what it is you're actually trying to do, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. There's a, like there's a million different ways a kick drum can sound. There's a million different like styles, and they're all they're all right in their own kind of like genre, but and they're also all wrong at the same time, <laughs> right? Right. You know, the, no. the Metallica kick drum does not really belong with a jazz band, and no. the jazz kick drum does not really belong. With Metallica, I guess. No, no. I don't, I don't know why I use them as an example, but yeah, it's polar opposites, kind of. You know, you're you're talking about two sounds that, yeah, sonically are are, are the uh, at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, one's really aggressive yeah. and one is not. You know, so g- given that, you you got to start this whole process with with knowing what it is you're going to want it to sound and feel like to the audience and to yourself, right? Yeah. So, you know, how do how do you guys go about that, Brendan? Like, what's 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 your thought process, decision tree, whatever you want to call it, you know, to start from, hey, this is a new band I'm working for and I need to figure out what this kick drum is going to sound like? Yeah, I mean, basically it's usually, you know, knowing what the genre of the band is, one, listening to a bunch of their music and kind of getting the feel for it. You know, usually if it's a more like folk or jazz or like, I want to say like natural sounding music, then I know I'm going for like, more of an unprocessed, it can be a little like, not looser sounding, but like more natural sound of the drum. I want to just like bring across like what they're giving me and not like tweak it too much. 
But if it's like more pop or like electronic or dance music, then I'm going to take some liberties with it and just try and get it like super punchy, super tight, all those things to like kind of hype it up in like hype it same, up. Hype it up. Same uh, kind of process for you, Joe? Like, you know, listen to the album, kind of figure it out? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you're going to draw from your your musical palette and um, and try to, you know, try to recreate what you think works for, for that genre. If it's an instance where like, you have never heard the band, you know, th- that's going to happen too. You're going to go throughout your career. You're going to do a shift one night and some band's going to come in. You've never heard of them, couldn't find anything online or like didn't have time to. And yeah, just like Brennan said, you kind of start from what they're giving you, you know, unless they're total morons, which is going to happen also, uh, <laughs> they'll have some idea of how they want to sound. So the drummer, if he's competent enough, will have his drum set up and sounding like at least close to, you know, he expects it to when you put a mic on it. Yeah, well, and you can literally just ask them. True. You can actually just say, you know, what what's Social what's the skills? sound you like? What's what's um what's a record you like? What what do you want this to feel like? You know, all yeah. those things. You can you can ask all those questions. Use communication? Yeah, I I guess. Yeah. So, you know, for me it's about the same, you know, listen to the records for as long as you can before you actually get to the gig and if it's, you know, someone you've never heard of, obviously you don't get that opportunity, but Hopefully you have some idea of the genre, make some assumption of what that sounds like in the genre, and then listen to what the actual source is like on stage. See how close the source itself is to what you had in your head or what they had in their record. And then, you know, see where you can go from that, really. See see how you can kind of get between those two those two places. Fair enough. I just kind of going back to what we were saying before, you know, um you, you can always start with what they're giving you. And yeah. and now now we're getting into specifics about like what this drum sounds like, what is contributing it, contribute, contributing to it sounding Words. like that. Um, you know, does it have, does it have a port on the, on the head? Does it even have a resonant head? Um, how is it tuned? Is it a, is it 24 inch? Is it a, you know, is it a little 18 inch cocktail kit or something like that? Um, is it, is it, is it pecky and punchy or is it papery and kind of, uh, more classic you're rock. Pick another sounding. P word. Oh, <laughs> I thought you. I thought you were going to do it. Alliteration town. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so and and then there's you know the things you can do to to tweak it. You know, like tuning a little bit. Put putting uh, putting pillows or blankets and stuff inside of it to kind of deaden it. Um, well, so well, so let's talk about some assumptions first, right? Okay. okay. So let's pick a, a rock band as a base, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you get a 20-inch kick drum on stage versus a 22 versus a 24 versus, I don't know, an 18, yeah. what are some of the assumptions you guys might make when you see any of those? I'm going to assume that it's probably not going to have the same low-end, like, sub stuff yeah. as, like, a, a larger drum. Uh, um, I'd, I'd usually assume, too, with a bigger kick drum, they yeah. probably want it emphasized a little bit more right? to have right. more weight to it in the... In the mix and in the song, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then, and then you know, you can, as Joe, you just started to lay out. There are frequency assumptions you can make too, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got an eighteen-inch kick, you know the the kind of meat of it is going to be higher in frequency than yeah. like a twenty-four-inch kick. That's going to be deeper in tone, simply because of the physics of it being a, a you know a bigger head. Exactly. Right. Also, you know, bigger drums tend to ring a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Right, so like an eighteen would be a very very tight sound. Uh, a twenty four, it, it might have more low end, but it'll be a little bit looser of a tonality. Yeah, 
you know, so some of those things are irrelevant, right? And then that jumps into what you were just about to dig into, which is like dampening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how, and how, you know, knowing when to apply it and by, by taking the sound you have in your head of what it's supposed to sound like and the sound that it's making and trying to connect those dots, you know, if you don't know anything about any of that stuff, it's comes down to experimentation. Like a lot of this audio stuff, you know, um, some drummers get very touchy about experimenting with them, you know, so you, you want to know when to be able to, you know, take liberties and stuff. But yeah, but um, yeah, you well, so well, Brendan, you're you're a drummer, yeah. So when it comes to dampening Ugh. your drum, you know, <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. thought you were a musician. Guess <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, when it comes to dampening your drums, right? There, there's obviously a difference between putting some dampening inside the the kick and pushing it against the batter head versus pushing it against the resonant head. Mm-hmm. For you as a player, like, do you have a preference either way? What do you feel is the difference sonically? All those things, you know. Mm. I guess I like a little bit touching each side. Of the like both heads, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell, but tell I also, me, tell me why. Well, I don't want like a really loose, ringy kick drum personally, and yeah. I don't mm-hmm. want that low end getting out of control. So I tend to have like a looser batter head and a tighter mm-hmm. resonant head because okay. it like kind of dampens the the length of it. So so I guess th- that actually leads into a question we probably should have jumped into even mm-hmm. before we got into dampening and all that. That's the tuning portion of this, right? So yeah. in general, uh, I'm going to say this, and you're the drummer, so you can tell me I'm wrong, right? <laughs> in general, I find that if your, your resonant head controls how long the note lasts mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. So if you make that looser, mm-hmm. your note tends to last a little longer. If you make that tighter, it tends to be a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Your batter head kind of tends to affect the the punch the note itself and you know the general uh i don't know general tonality mm-hmm. would you agree with that uh yeah to a certain extent i i agree about the resonant head doing that but i think the resonant head also affects the like pitch of the drum too so yeah, i mean yeah, they yeah. both do of course yeah but yeah yeah generally yeah the the attack i feel like the attack of it is affected by the batter head and then the the length and the note and the depth is kind of affected by the resonant head. That's just my feeling. I am no expert yeah. in this by any means. Like I'm not a drum doctor guy, but like that's been <laughs> my the amazing experience. drum doctor guy. <laughs> yeah, the guy part's the important bit at the end. Drum right. doctor guy. guy. Yeah, that's that's on his business card. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, now, yeah, that, that's how I kind of seem to see it as well. And you know, one of the other bits that's important. I say as well. I mean, hell, I said it. Uh, one of the other bits that's important, though, is that as you loosen or tighten the batter head, batter head being the one that actually gets hit by the, the beater on the, on the kick pedal, as you loosen or tighten that, that changes the response of what it feels like to the player, right? Mm-hmm. So if you make it looser, the pedal doesn't bounce back as, as hard. Yeah. If you make it tighter, the pedal bounces back. So, you know, from, from a sound person perspective, messing with the tuning on that side you can only really go so far because you really change the way the player is able to play it by yeah. changing the the kind of rebound there. I mean, do you guys, depending on what situation you're in, do you like ask the drummer to adjust? Do you ever ask them to adjust their tuning on their kick? Yep. If <laughs> Damn. I was going to say, if it's egregiously bad, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm one to try to work with what's there just because I don't like talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> Truth is, I have to make the assumption that they're good at what they do, right? I have to yeah. make the assumption that they that they have picked this tuning and tone because it's what works well for them and they like it, right? 
And I will ask for a change only if what they've given me doesn't work. That's it. Yeah. You know, I don't really need to dig in on anything else. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And just touching back on one thing Brendan kind mm-hmm. of started mentioning about just like overall resonance in general. This is this is a, a generalization, obviously, and definitely more geared towards rock Um rock drums but mm-hmm. generally in live sound i feel like you're you're going for a more dead you, you don't want something with super right. long resonance versus recording when you're kind of trying to capture that you know so so the pillow thing the gaff tape thing you're gonna see it a lot the mm-hmm. you know whatever else to get that resonance to chill out a little bit you're gonna see you know it's around you know yeah 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 don't yeah, overuse I mean, it, but you know, move, move, moving past the tuning itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. pillow, the towels inside, whatever. The idea there is that if you've got something soft that's touching the batter head, then the length that it resonates is going to get shortened because this yeah. is going to dampen it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the same for the resonant head. If you've got it touching on the resonant head, you reduce the amount of that resonance. Yeah. Right. And you know, a good point to make here is that the tighter that sound is the more you're really able to EQ it. So if you're going to do some really extreme EQ, it works way better with shorter, impactful sounds yeah. than really long ones. Yeah. And then also really long sounds, that means more bleed. Yeah. Because, you know, gates are open longer or you've just got this long tonality that rings out more. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things like bass amps next to drums, it's going to make this kind of stuff resonate a bit. It's going to yeah. ring a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, floor toms, so, you know, yeah, but kick drums, you know, especially, yeah. Yeah, so, so some of that... that um, dampening, you know, the pillow inside, the towel inside, all that. Some of that is also to clean up a lot of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. is to clean up some of the those drums from ringing out when other instruments are played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, just the, acoustic. The drum, the yeah, looking at the drums as a whole too, they're all resonating together, right? You know, yeah. the kick drum is making the toms resonate too. So if you've got a big ass ring on the kick drum, yeah, that's going to be affecting the sound of the whole kit. Yeah, it all right. starts yeah. to kind right. of compound and get real. It just muddies up the mix. It makes the mix nasty and and uh you know and then the clarity goes away so that's that's what that's that's the the point in trying to control all that stuff yeah right Um, and 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 doing this should be a conversation with the drummer make sure they feel comfortable with what it is you're doing make sure it doesn't feel too dead for for the drummer etc and um you know get to a spot where it's not completely dead and also uh you know here's another thing if you're actually using a mic inside the kick drum as well make sure it's not covered up by your dampening if you're using a bunch of towels and you <laughs> put it in there and the towels fall on yeah. it put the mic in after the towels different. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no, although you know that, that being said though when you do that it's also really good to tape that mic down so that it doesn't fall off the pillow or any of those stupid right. things yeah. throughout the song or move forward backwards all that motion makes a difference yeah totally yeah. Absolutely secure the inside mic. Why don't we? Sure. So yeah, what are we? What are we putting in there? What mic are you guys putting inside the kick drum? Damn, that's what's that up. Was, that was a, that was a slick transition, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, just right in. Joe, um, Joe, hit me with it. Oh man, um, dude, you know what, man? Call me crazy. I You're love crazy. good old Beta Fifty Two. It's just you know yeah. on a lot on a lot of kick drums, it's just got that it's got that butt. You know, it's got that 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 <laughs> bump at the bottom, <laughs> and then there's just like a kiss of attack. You know that's that. I don't know. It's it, it's just nice. Um, I love I love throwing a, a, a I guess out of the ordinary or whatever. I love throwing a D one twelve inside. Um, D one twelve, like from, actually inside, sitting on a pillow or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a b- little bit of a warmer mic, a little bit of a. Um, 
I don't know, yeah, like a more natural response in like a 52. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you get it inside, you start, you're kind of capturing this crazy sound with, a, you know, a, the, the 91 approach is the opposite. It's like taking it like bolts the wall extreme and then you can kind of take out from there or blend in accordingly, you know? Yeah. You know, you know it's funny you say the 112 because every time I've put a 112 at the port, you, I'm you like, don't like, this it. thing sounds like a basketball. It sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't bad. handle it. Yeah, yeah, put it inside. But I also tried throwing it inside one time and I was like, oh, what? This is what it's supposed to be that's for. The like, point. What is everyone else doing with it? That's this? the point. That's the point. That's that's the one for that. It's great. It's great. You know, something a little more extreme on the outside. Joe, um, Joe, what's that EV kick mic that's at the Indy? Do you ever use that oh, one? 906? I have used it. Is it 906? Or sorry, 904. 904. 904. Uh, is that the Sennheiser? You know what? I don't remember the numbers anymore. I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm doing research. Anyways. <laughs> anyways. So back to that 112, though. Let's yeah. talk about, you know, you've got inside outside these are two pretty common positions to stick a microphone mm-hmm. in a kick drum yeah right uh and sometimes people put it in both right in and out right right which you'll very often see on an input list kick in kick out right mm-hmm. yeah what's the purpose of of both of these you kind of have you have a few different ways to approach it and the the the, the basic of it all is just like a general it's just a general blend of the two and you're kind of letting each of them fill in certain spaces or I don't, it's, it's just it's literally just like a, a change in tonality without using an equalizer it's like a different way to achieve a, a different tone by adjusting the blend the other route you could go is kind of using that as its own like parallel processing thing without actually parallel processing it's just two mics squash the shit out of one you know and uh, stored it or whatever gate it really hard and then the other one's like the natural sound and that's like you know <laughs> yeah um, sorry. Sorry, they're that. laughing at the chat. Here. Yeah, yeah. You're calling me I, gross? Squashing it? Out. No, is that what no, you were saying? No, I wasn't calling he you. He was calling gross. the mic gross. Oh, the mic. Bre- Brendan, oh. Brendan dropped into the chat the EV ND68, which is the mic you guys were talking about, because he was actually talking about an EV, not a Sen. Right. And uh, he typed that in, and I replied, "Gross." You're not into that one, huh? I'm not into I a think lot of. He EV would have said mics, that with that. Damn. With it, honestly, it there. doesn't matter what Brendan would have typed, yeah. though. No, I would have said gross. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Fair um, you know so, so back to the in out thing though you know it's kind of interesting right because just a moment ago we were talking about tuning and we were talking about batter head and resonant head right mm-hmm. and by doing an in out thing you've got one mic that's close to each of those right you've got one mic that's kind of close to the batter head right and you can get a i don't know clearer reflection of what that head in the drum is doing mm-hmm. i got it and then you've uh, go ahead Brendan. i was gonna say i got a specific question for you ryan how close do Uh-oh. you put it Ooh, well, it depends on what I'm trying to get out of it. Mm. Um, But for the most part, when I put both of them in, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to capture the attack off of the batter head. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to uh, capture some of that resonance, basically the resonance head, like the Mm -hmm. extra low end that you get from having that little bit of distance and like that kind of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, reflection of back and forth or whatever is happening inside that kick drum. And that resonant head is always resonating lower than the uh, batter head itself. Mm. So I essentially use them as, I don't know, two mics for two different parts of the same source. So, you know, the way you described it, Joe, is, you know, you kind of use them as a bit of an EQ. I kind of do the same, where my goal is that the inside uh, mic is capturing the attack really, really clearly and capturing that tightness and punch of the resonant head just kind of hitting really quickly. Yeah. And then the outside mic is kind of like more of the 
roundness, right? And even if you stick your ear next to that resonant head on a drum, it's like a lot less aggressive than the inside head, right? It's got this kind of like warmer, rounder, like woo to it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I probably put it... I probably put it pretty much dead halfway through the drum, mm-hmm. that inside mic. It's probably dead halfway through the drum. And then the outside mic is right at or just outside of the hole. And then this thing that Joe is typing into our little chat thing right now is something that I find super, super, super relevant. And that's getting them time aligned with one another. Yeah. But we can we can dig that into that later because that is both a good and bad thing, right? You got to remember when there's two microphones on one source, there's a time differential there. There's a time differential if they're not the same distance from the source, Yeah. right? The kick drum beater hits the head, that sound hits the inside mic, and then eventually hits the outside mic. Yeah, I, I get it. It's only like a half a foot or a foot, but that matters. Yeah, especially with low frequencies, you know, that's where it matters most. And mm-hmm. right. and with with slight, very small amounts of delay and or, you know, polarity shifts, uh, that that frequency response of the two mics summed is going to drastically change. So right. before you even get into EQ or dy- dynamics or any of that stuff, you can like shape your tone pretty powerfully with just mic positioning, delay, and phase of two of right. two kick mics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. You know, I'm, I'm sure many times you put up two kick mics and you just hit the polarity button on yeah. the out. You're like, oh, and you're like, okay, oh, that was now, it. Yeah. Now, it's, now it's all scooped and sounds like a modern kick drum yeah, already. Great. <laughs> great. And it's just because of the phase interaction between those two. It's doing a bunch of comb filtering because of that distance difference. And you get, you know, 80% of the way there yeah. just by pressing that one button and you're there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, kind of, you're kind of using the flaws and the physics of it all to, to your advantage or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That's no, the way I like exactly to look that. at it. Mm-hmm. You're a yeah, physics exactly hacker. That. Brendan, do you have any particular mics that you throw on a kick drum that are, you know, uncommon? Not uncommon. I mean, I've thrown the, well, I've thrown the RE20 on sometimes. That's a good one. That's a good mm-hmm. tight, just right inside the porthole. That's been like a good yeah. tight sound. Uh, but I like the SM91 beta 52 combination. I mean, that's kind of my go-to. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a solid combo. I mean, I, I do sometimes lean towards a D6 on the outside if I want it to be a deeper sounding kick drum not necessarily because i want it to be all metal sounding but you know the d6 is kind of a pre-eq'd mic right so it's got yeah. all this subby sub stuff going on in it a little more aggressive than a 52 you know probably yeah. probably better for something like metal yeah it, it kind of pushes your low frequency even lower in the spectrum mm-hmm. by having this kind of pre-eq thing happening there so that's cool yeah. i really like a 421 on a kick drum and i actually stick it like well inside it and it just feels like a 90s rock that's rock the steve thing, albini awesome. that's the steve albini right there yeah i love it right. uh I like an M88 on a kick drum sometimes, mm-hmm. um, except they don't handle SPL very well. So you oh, really? got to be real careful. You'll blow them up. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, they made a newer M88, an M88TG, that uh, that can handle it like much better. Yeah. But my, my old one that I have, you got to keep it like four inches outside of the hole so it doesn't blow up. <laughs> Damn, but it sounds crazy. great it sounds great but of huh. course then you have an unreasonable amount of bleed from everything else on the stage and all that so it gets a little little crazy real quick what if there's what? sorry go ahead oh go i was ahead. gonna say what it, no port on the kick drum i was just gonna say that i was just gonna say that that's what's up great minds think alike well then you kill yourself yep <laughs> damn kill, <laughs> kill, the, I, I, kill the drummer straight off the bridge no no I, I actually just did a gig a few days ago with with a drummer with no port yeah. But um, it it made sense. It was like kind of like old school soul with like yeah. strings and all that. It it was the right sound for it, right? Uh-huh. You know, the no port thing goes back to what are you looking for? If you're trying to get a punchy drum with no port, you're not going to be able to do it by miking up the resonant side. Yeah, but you might be able to do it by miking up the batter side. I'd beg to differ. Yeah, oh, tell yeah. me. 
Oh, I mean, we're going to get into processing after this, but... Uh-huh, you know. uh-huh. See, you're going to hack it. See, that's the thing. I'm going to hack it. I'm going to hack the shit out of it. See, see to me, to me, and where the it. batter hits, where the batter hits the head itself, or where the batter, where the beater hits the head itself, that is going to be all the attack, most of the punch. Yeah. So I would try and capture it from that side. If if you're doing it from the resonant head, you're getting a lot of, you know, uh, uh you know, the air inside the kick drum is, is, is kind of taking away a lot of that punch by the time it gets to the resonant head. Yeah. Um, I, but I've just never, I've never been like, I just hate the way it looks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never found a way to like mic the, the batter side of a kick drum where it's like, I'm comfortable with this, especially on a stage. I don't know. I mean, that's just me. Well, especially since there's always so many other things on that side of the kit. Yeah. Like, like it's going to get knocked over. Yeah. Plus Plus like right someone's going to hit it. I don't know. Yeah. That's just me. You know, when, when I've had to do that, I've, I've also effectively just assumed that it has to basically be the snare bottom mic. There's there's no right. need for another snare bottom, right. like especially if you're gonna if you, especially if you're gonna try to EQ any top end into it. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That's kind of um, that's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah, but you know, okay. So when when there's when there's no port, no hole in the head, what do you do, Joe? Uh, we're gonna. Are we, I mean, let's let's jump right into just processing. You know, dive in, dive in. All right. So we're gonna start with no, we're gonna start with the no port. It's it, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna probably well again depending on what I'm going for. You know, if it's a jazz band, you know, and it's then just you're gonna like, make it sound like a black metal kick drum, right? I'm gonna jack. I'm gonna for sure. I'm gonna put a. I'm gonna put vitamin on it. Um, and boost the harmonics of everything above five k a hundred percent. And um, hope it doesn't feedback. I just use oh, the vocal mic because it's out there boy. in the side of the room. I mean, that's what they did, right? Just one <laughs> mic. For, yeah, out for here. the whole, yeah, just yeah. overhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it's something where the kick is not like a, a major player in the mix, then I might not do much. You know, I might just be a little bit of level, get some of that bump to fill in the subs, and, and then you're good. But if you're like trying to put, you know, something there that's not, you know, which we have to do often as engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there there will be some heavy hacking, you know, EQ-wise, trying to get, probably blasting some top end, you know, maybe some saturation, maybe vitamin, using similar per- parameters to what I said, or some, you know, some high-end uh, 1 to 5K boost um, harmonic-wise. But my big big way to kind of achieve, I guess, like, all right, let's let's be real. The challenge in that situation would be like getting attack and definition out of a kick drum with no port in an in a situation where you want it. Okay, right. And my kind of like main tool for that is you know outside of the EQ is 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 the gate and using it. And yeah. we've we've talked we've talked talked about this in prior episodes before, but kind of using a gate as a as a sort of transient designer and using that attack and hold and release those parameters specifically. A very hard gate, you know, going. Uh, with its you know with a pretty high range and ratio kind of thing, um, and then just really dialing that attack to literally pop when the gate comes on like opens, um, yeah. and finding the the balance of it sounding natural, you know, sort of natural, and know? and that kind of becomes your attack is that popping it, sound one hundred percent yeah. It, so that, when you that do that, do you duplicate do you duplicate the channel or do you just do it on one? Uh, it depends. It depends how much time I got, but it's going. I mean, I'll probably just you know jump right in on the first because so so i've done something similar before right where i've i've taken it sent that one mic to two channels and on one of them do this gnarly gating thing bump a bunch of top ends that it kind of does this popping thing so it sounds like a beater hitting a head yeah and then on the other one 
EQ it a little bit differently so that a little you more know, natural, a little little looser gate too, so that it actually has a tiny bit of a note, you know, and uh-huh. then let it go. So uh, yeah, I've split it up into two to kind of do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what you should do, really. I mean, is it though? I mean, well, so I just feel like sometimes in live sound, I just you, go, I go get an exacto knife. Exactly, and a CD. that's what you should do. Yeah, and a CD, <laughs> and, a CD. <laughs> and you put it on the beater head, or no, wait, yeah, on the. No, on the, the resonant. resonant. Oh, on the yeah, resonant. On the beater head. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, he just cuts a hole where the where the, right where where the, the beater drum, goes, uh, well, where no. the beater hits it. What's like? I mean, I've, I'm sure I've seen some like funny metal YouTube video where they've got some like mechanism. Oh, where there's coins or something, something attached like right that. where the beater hits. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So that that stuff actually has a purpose, right? It's yeah. it's like literally a chunk of metal that's stuck right where the beater hits the head, <laughs> so and up. it just it just amplifies the attack like mad. Yeah. That's, that's how metal got its name. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> true story. That's, um, that's sick. <laughs> is that actually a true story? You're just saying. That? I fucking know. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, you know, if if you do have a drummer that's like on board with actually putting a hole in the head, a, a method I found like a long, long time ago that actually works, and it's probably impossible now because who the hell has these things around in their house anymore? But you get one of those old um, aluminum coffee cans. You know, like just, they're, they're what, like about four inches across? They're yeah. just a can. Just put it down on your stove, let it get really hot, and then just drop it on the head, and it puts a perfect hole right through huh, it. Huh, crazy. I like yeah. that. So if you can find one of those aluminum coffee cans, which they probably stopped making in like 1990. Dude, thrift um, store. Thrift store. There you go. Dude, stay uh, sale, That's bro. an easy Dude. way. That's an easy way to do it, and you get really clean edges. You don't end up with stuff that'll cut everyone's hands up and stuff. So if, if you're on board with, you know, cutting that's, a board in. That's slick. Yeah, because even, yeah, it's never, I've never done it clean. Even with one of those, like, you know, the kit with the fucking, the ring, I don't know. Yeah, never clean. It's always a mess. And then it rips. Then halfway through the tour, it rips, you know, because you didn't cut it clean. It's like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and, and kick drums are unreasonable, or resonant heads are unreasonably expensive. Yeah, they're like 40 bucks or yeah, something, right? Yeah, 40, 45 bucks. Well, that's why most drummers never change them. They buy the kit once and never ever change that head yeah so speaking of heads though do you have any preferences for kick drum heads depends on the genre depends on the genre okay. but 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 i but again you know as a very uh, massive generalization like you know, like with live sound i really i gravitate toward like the dead sound you know i like so whatever's the, gonna get me there aquarian super kick too yeah a that's a classic do you have one sitting right next to you yeah where you're about i just, to pull it out? I just <laughs> look back just to check <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Do you, do you like the ones that have like the built-in dampening things, like the EMAD and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the Superkick has a little bit of a ring yeah, around. Yeah, it's the got inside that black too. ring of yeah. yeah. What's yeah. up with the ones with like the oil in them, like the hydraulic ones? What's up with that? Like well, a, that's like dampening as well. With, with yeah. oil in it. Yeah, that's pretty. Sick. Yeah, in theory, that's just dampening. Yeah, um, it's not good. Yeah, for those cli- are quite cool. Not good for climate change, though. You don't want to use those. Damn. <laughs> yeah, double double ply. Too much plastic. Too much oil. Yeah. Yeah, g- generally I, I lean to clear heads if I want kind of a modern produced D sound and, and coated heads if I want it to be a little bit more natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tends to work that way. Totally. And that works for most of the drums, honestly. Except snares, snares we'll, we'll, we'll get to in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll get there. So, so let's talk about EQ and dynamics and all that. Mm-hmm. Brendan, is there anything that's just like an automatic, this is a thing you're going to do? Not really. It depends on the the sound of the drum for sure but i usually if i'm doing two mics then i'll i mean this is not direct processing but i'll group them and then process them together so that's usually my Mm go-to that can be Um, helpful yeah yeah going back to those like attack times and transient stuff like if you're doing it all you know doing it doing doing that kind of work on two separate channels can be i guess 
funky sometimes. A go-to thing to do is check the f- check polarity, hit the phase mm-hmm. button on the console, just make sure it sounds the best with whatever whichever switch it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I usually reach for gates, but like it just kind of depends. But gates are, pr- I usually reach for a gate on my kick just to clean it up, you know, probably 99% of the time. Yeah, fair enough, man. I mean, yeah. you're, you're right that it all depends on the kick drum, right? Mm-hmm. Each, each one's got a different tonality to it, right? Yeah. But there's, there are certain things that are in every single one of them, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's always a bit that lives in that, I don't know, 120 to 250 range. That's like this little bit of, I don't know, uh, meat that's not necessarily tight. Mm, yeah. Right? And then you've got that kind of, uh, boxy's not the right word, but there's that boxiness. It's somewhere in like the 400 range, you know, four to 700 range. Mm-hmm. And both of those ranges, I usually kind of pull out a little bit. And then when it comes to attack and the click side of things, that ranges anywhere from like 1K all the way up to like 7K. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on what you want it to sound like. Yeah. The more natural you want it to be, the lower in that range you're going to be. So for the most part... If you want it to be really natural, you'll be somewhere between like one and two and a half K is, is where your kind of click is. And you might boost that up a bit or whatever. But if you want it to get into the more produced type sound, you start going higher and higher, like three, four or five or whatever. Now, and eventually you get to a point where the, that sound is barely even in the drum, but you're pushing it because it just, you know, has this weird thing going thing. on. It just works. <laughs> um, does that kind of align with, with what you what you feel like, Joe? Yeah. At, at, fir- at first I was like, I fully agreed with Brandon. I was like... Yeah, there's it totally 100% depends on what the drum sounds like. But then I was like, well, no, me, I probably, there's, I'm probably going to execute the smiley EQ somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, right. And yeah, I'm probably going to try to gate it if someone doesn't kill me first. And I'm probably <laughs> well, going to compress the, a little. The truth is, you know, th- those are all ranges, right? And yeah. what mm-hmm. you do in those ranges is going to be totally dependent on the drum itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I know that I'm going to gravitate towards figuring out something in that low mid-range and then figuring out something in that mid-range, figuring out something in that top end range yeah. that kind of like allows me to tailor it. And then comes the more complicated question, like the actual low end, low end. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, even in our little document we've got here, we've got a little point on relationship to bass and instruments in that, in that frequency range. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, your decision for EQ and what you're going to do uh, on the low end of the kick drum is entirely relevant or related to what the other bass instruments you have are and where you want the kick to sit in relation to those. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, very often there's a conversation of, oh, does my kick sit above my bass or does my kick sit below my bass? And it's like, it's a bit weird of a conversation because like, I feel like a lot of people say that, but maybe they don't actually execute exactly that. So like, what, what what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess what you're talking about is kind of which one is going to be the star of the show below, you know, uh, in the sub-frequencies, you know, below yeah, 90 hertz. And if we're talking live sound, really, which one is going to dominate the subwoofers? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it depends. It depends. You know, I you mean, have to make that decision. Yeah. I think that's a stylistic but, decision, though, right? I mean, or you're, like, making a decision, like, where you're, like, side-chaining the, the bass to the kick so that you can get both, That's <laughs> you know? I f- I feel like that's yeah. either like a like salt and pepper on top scenario or or yeah. or it's desperation. <laughs> like a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one, yeah. I, I'm desperate quite often in that regard. <laughs> Damn. You 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 be side chaining, bro? I do every, all all the time. But we we can um, get, we can get to that. But yeah. I I read something on 
I read something that someone on Reddit posted the other day in the live sound yeah. uh, thing, and it made a lot of sense actually. So I, I wish I could credit the user or whatever at the post <laughs> or whatever. But uh, and and it, uh, maybe it wasn't actually live sound. Maybe it was recording. They were t- talking about recordings or something like that. But you know, they talked about uh, when when like mixing their their low end stuff and like trying to listen for it and stuff like that. They'll they'll take a low pass filter and put it across the whole mix. You know, and I do um, you do that. You do it in live sound too, if you yeah. can. Like virtual yeah. sound check scenario, yeah. So not and, that often, honestly, but in, in studio all the time. And and so we're gonna. I'm gonna get into some onomatopoeia here, but they but they basically said, and they used capital capitals to kind of distinguish the two. But they said, um, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna try to recreate this. They said basically, you want your you want your like kick relation your kick base relationship to go something like. And they use like like capitals with the B and like lowercase m's. Like in, they were like instead of like all capital B M. But but it made perfect sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of want the kick to be the transient that's riding above, yeah. and and the bass to be the brooding, the long thing, part, of it. Right, yeah. exactly. The note, yeah, the legato you know? part, the note, exactly. And again, genre generalization, you know, genre specific, but like that's a that's a pretty cool thing to cool way to put it. I thought that's that's why I get a little confused with this statement of like whether you want the kick above or below the bass in the the low end because I feel like I usually have them both there, but I and when I look at like frequency analyzers of like songs i like i see that the, they're all kind of in the same place well they're in the same place but the kick just punches through right in the sub point. above the bass and then it goes away and you still got the bass there but it's just lower yeah. so yeah i don't know that's kind of like what i go for i don't know if that's right or like right or not but you know there's also in live sound there's also kind of the issue of headroom and i mean not so much right. in today's modern pas but but still even even like the headroom of a space if you will you're not trying to kill anybody here you want everyone wants everything to be pleasant so i don't know establishing some sort of i don't know cleaning that up and kind of assigning those you know assigning one to to the low end it can it can help in the live scenario you're not making a record you know it does it's not like everything doesn't have to be all the time you know if we view this from particularly the live sound lens or whatever. If you make your bass very subby and then you have your kick drum that is very subby, you're going to eat up all the headroom in your subwoofers really, really quickly. Thank you. Right? Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of what you were trying to get at, Joe. Yeah, I think that was an intelligent way of saying the bumbling garbage that was falling now, out of your mouth. You could have the bass be really subby, but then if you made the kick drum, I don't know, centered closer to like 90 hertz straight up you wouldn't be absolutely destroying your subs when this stuff kind of happens uh when when i say when this stuff happens i guess i mean when they hit together right right you could do the other way around where your kick drum is actually very subby and your bass is centered above 60 hertz and when i say centered i mean like you know the majority of anything below that you've removed you know rather than using a subharmonic synth or like any sort of octave thing going on to, to kind of fill it out down there and then when your kicks hit, they're taking up all this low, low energy. And then your bass is kind of sitting in a, I don't know, lower energy zone, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And so that's t- how I tend to lean. I tend to lean where the actual kick drum takes up the subby area mm-hmm. and the bass itself takes up a, a higher range. A growl. And the reason I lean that way is because the subby stuff and all that and that punchy energy... That's going to feel great on the floor where everyone is over there, right? But the bass note itself needs to get to the farthest back seat. And if I use subby, subby bass, 
it may not travel in the same way to that farthest back seat as if I uh, as if I were to you know kind of move the base up a teeny bit in range where it's like just a little bit above that that mm-hmm. kind of sixty to hundred and something. If that's where the note the low end of the base is sitting, then I know that that'll actually make it all the way to the back seats. And I know that's probably like technically incorrect, but it seems to work well that way, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, of course, I still do this side chaining thing too and all that. And that's because I want to kind of keep energy moving and keep it breathing and all that. So I guess when we're talking about relationship of bass instruments and and kick drums, like it seems I actually have a way I like to do it. But there's an exception to that, right? And, And this, I guess, relates to another point we have here. We have a point here that's labeled sub control. You might... Well, I guess anyone listening to this, you've done shows with subs where the subs feel really low, like they shake the ground and they're really like infrasonic type subs. Mm-hmm. And then you've gone and done other shows and the subs, they feel like they kind of like, yeah, they kind of hit you in the gut, but they don't go very low. And when you hit those two different kind of subtypes, and maybe you don't have the ability to change processing, change the subs, whatever, any of those things you have to change the way you address this because you can't make things really subby. And when I say subby, I mean like infrasonic-y on a system that just doesn't put that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have to change the way you approach this. I mean, I imagine you guys have both hit this before, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a venue that I'm thinking of right now um, that, yeah, it basically sounds like they have guitar cabinets and uh, that's kind of the range the PA takes up. And you, you have that's to completely awesome. kind of, uh, yeah, you have to completely kind of recontextualize the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to allow for that. You have to find warmth essentially above like 90 hertz in mm-hmm. this room. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Brendan, you've, you've hit this as well? Yeah, yeah. I've worked in plenty of venues where there's not too much low end. I mean, yeah, I just, I, I, I lean towards making my kicks lower. So, you know, if the subs can't handle lower frequencies, I find where the kick drum can like kind of hit at the lowest point of those subs and, and then make room for it there. I mean, that's, that's usually what I do. Yeah. I think, you know, in the, in those instances and, and touching back on, you know, the relationship, the two, even with the normal PA that actually does produce those frequencies, establishing that, that again, establishing that relationship and like, you know, putting a high pass filter, say on one of them, you know, for instance, if you're, if you're going base low, put putting a high pass on the kick can often uh, create more impact, you know, it's, it's almost like counterintuitive, but goes back to the headroom thing like if your subs are struggling to reproduce all this shit um you know they're not gonna they're not gonna sound as good as if they're like you know working within their proper parameters so you might get more punch more impact and you know uh like more perceived loudness even um by like taking some of it out of one of the other ones and you know that's a good point too because i i imagine that you know some of our listeners have, have hit this too where you get your kick up as the first thing in line check and it sounds smashing and by the time the whole band's there you're like the kick sucks <laughs> yeah and it's probably because you didn't high pass all the other stuff that is now eating up the space where the kick was right mm-hmm. uh, i mean there's a million other reasons your kick could suck too but <laughs> but that's the thing to be aware of is that you know mm-hmm. you're placing this instrument into a sonic space and then if you just let everything else sit right on top of it it's not going to feel or sound the same as yeah. it, as it would have yeah. on its own, right? Yeah, yeah. the imp- the impact goes away. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, that's my and then and then what's the ultimate rookie mistake when you're in that situation? Just turn that shit when, up. Turn that shit up, and then you mean when the kick drum is the lead singer of the band, dude? I mean, how many times have you walked into like a small club and you see some fourteen year old sound person just like no offense to fourteen year olds to the to the you know how did the they get even get in the club? 
Well, they had a fake ID. <laughs> so, fake ID. This is, this is turning into quite fake a complicated W2. story. Yeah. But yeah, don't, fake don't, W two. Yeah, be be aware of the be aware. Of, uh, I'm sorry, fake 1099. Excuse me. There you uh, go. There you go. Let's be real here, guys. There's no way he's a real employee. Yeah. No. <laughs> Healthcare. God. Um. <laughs> but yeah, you know, don't be don't be the rookie who made that mistake. Be aware of it. We we just told you. You have no excuse now. You know. Truth is though, it 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 feels nice to have all that impact and all that, and I get it. And yeah, and it's so easy to kind of push that up. But everything at the end of the day is about balance and and delivering what the the artist or the song is supposed to be, right? And that is probably not a kick drum solo, <laughs> unless it's black metal. Then right. it's probably a kick drum then, solo. Then it's probably chill. Followed yeah. by a guitar solo. Followed by another kick drum solo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, did we do we beat this drum to death? Oh wow! Ba-dum-tsh. Thank you, thank you, y'all. We got a I, we got a couple more episodes of drums that I'll repeat that on. So, oh god. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. I think that I think that covered the gist of things. Yeah. Man. Is, do you, is there anything you felt feel like we we left out? No. I mean, I think we can cover. I mean, we're going to talk about all the drums. So maybe at the end we could talk about like group processing and like delay and phase and all that stuff in between the different drums once once we go through them all, you know? Sounds good, yeah. yeah. You know, b- before before we jump off this, one thing I do want to say is as you go through things like line check and as we're going to go through these episodes, leave these lines up. Don't mute them when you go to the next one because mm. you know what? Everything is going to have a relationship to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's important to check what you're now working on against what you just quote unquote yep. finished working on and make sure they all kind of still work together. And yeah. I would also add, have the bassist and the drummer play together once you got them all up so you can Definitely. check that relationship before you move on. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone there's a bunch, bunch of other stuff stepping on it. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. And yeah. uh, next episode, input two or kick two. Three, or four, or five, or six, or seven, or eight, depending on how many you have. (laughs) Yeah, three, four, and five, six. If there's two kick drums and maybe seven, eight, three mics each, then it's no, no, man. I'm talking about snare drums, man. Episode two. Yeah, yeah. Input three, four, sometimes five, six, sometimes also seven and eight. Snare two, snare one or two. Well, that's snare one plus two plus three. Yeah. Are you talking about SPD kick triggers? Ooh, man, we probably should have gotten into that. But you know what? We're gonna have to do an episode Another on episode. that too. SPD. SPD is on yep. there. Fifty-eight. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> Sounds All right. good. All right. Take it easy. Yeah, if you guys want to get in touch, just uh, find us on Facebook. Just search Live Sound Bootcamp. Check out the website livesoundbootcamp.com, or you can also email us. It's feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com, and check us out on Pro Sound Web with all the other cool sound podcast they have (laughs) all right the end goodbye the end thank you for listening to live sound bootcamp want to get in touch join our facebook group or send us an email via feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com love the show give us a review on apple podcasts and share it with a friend thanks to our ad sponsors you can support this show by supporting them and for more shows like this visit prosoundweb.com Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.